I invite your attention to this reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Then we'll uh, read a second section, a personal narrative, beginning in verse 19. Uh, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing of the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, because he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hope in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth, you know, how like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will be able to come soon as well. Still, I think it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was, indeed, so ill that he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, so that I should not have sorrow upon sorrow. I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I might be less anxious. Welcome him, then, in the Lord with all joy and honor such people because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life to make up for those services that you could not give me. This is the word for us today. Well, today we pick up this fourth statement out of Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that has been our theme for the year and we've been trying to attend to it from week to week as I've been able to be with you 
uh, to read, to pray, to remember together. This idea of together, this idea of fellowship, it's a, it's a big word. It's a word we often use. We have uh, fellowships all the time. We talk about community. We talk about having uh, a potluck in the fellowship hall. We, we use this kind of language a lot. But why is it so important? Why was it so important for the early church? And why might it be important for Johnson Street, for you and for I? Well, I'll give you one reason. I may give you several, but I'm going to give you one to start with. In America today, according to recent studies, one out of five Americans are lonely. Lonely. I'm not talking about being alone, which is a perfectly good thing to do. In fact, we need to do more of it if we're going to defeat loneliness. To be perfectly at peace with yourself and with God, to be alone is a good thing. But loneliness, no, that's something else. That is this deep ache for intimacy and connection with another being that simply cannot find a place to rest. Loneliness. It generally strikes older persons, people who are single or have been divorced or or who have uh, widowed or toward the end of their life and they're now living without family and close connections around them. We get that. But recent studies are showing that the actual, the highest rise of persons who are lonely are actually those persons who are 18 to 21 and 25. Loneliness. Loneliness. Finding a place to be able to meaningfully connect with another human being. And one of the challenges to dealing with loneliness, one of the allures that's playing itself out in our culture over the last many years, but in the last decade or so, we're seeing it exasperate, or or, that's not the word I'm looking for, accelerate, I like that word, accelerate, is with the way in which technology seems to promise intimacy and connection, and yet delivers something less and less and less. We find ourselves being on Facebook and being friends with lots of people, dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of friends, friends all over the place, and yet we are still lonely. We get texts all the time, text after text after text. The average teenager has over 14 or 1,500 texts a month. That's a lot of texts, and yet we are lonely Because in all of our points of connection, particularly with the way in which we find these devices like this one here or like the one I'm using here or our laptops, our desktop computers, and on and on it goes, our use of technology that seems to make something so accessible to us actually becomes a barrier to true and deep community. We are well-connected and wired in, and yet we lack the capacity to be meaningfully engaged in conversation and life together with other human beings. One researcher in this area, a noted Harvard uh, researcher by the name of Sherry Turkle, wrote a book about four years ago called uh, Alone Together. Alone Together. Turkle does a great job of exploring all of this. One of, the, one of the points that she, at one point in the book, she tells a story of interviewing a middle school student, a young man who has cell phone in his hand, 
as she, he's even being interviewed. And uh, she's inquiring about conversation and having a meaningful conversation. And he wistfully says, as he looks, keeps, you know, this kind of thing going with this, says, conversation, I'd like to learn how to have one sometime, but not now. It's too intimidating. That sounds funny, but it's really quite sad. The fact that it's easier for us to text and get bare snippets of data to communicate with one other with another human being and avoid the real and difficult and hard work of actually having a flesh and blood embodied conversation with another human being it's just tough it's a lot easier to just text and kind of find out the bare bones and then move on partly because researchers tell us that being able to text allows me to be in control of what happens and secondly i'm able to as uh, one researcher would talk about this, curate, I can posture myself in a particular sort of way uh, through Facebook and other media so that you see only the parts of me that you want to see. The happy me, the successful me, the, the hero me, or the one who's the tragic me, who always has tragic things happen in my life. Because on Facebook, we can present whatever we want to about ourself. And our real self is at arm's length. Is that real community? No. In fact, not at all. It sometimes helps us out. And texting can be useful, right? Set a time to meet. I'm running late. I'll be there soon. There are once, once, lots of wonderful things about technology. This is... What I'm saying here this morning is not bashing technology. Technology is neither good nor bad, but I will say to you, and I assert it very forcefully, that technology is incredibly powerful. And it can shape us for the good, or in many times, I am fearful, it is shaping us to be lonely, disconnected. Disconnected from one another, and I would suggest to you disconnected from God. That's why when we hear this text from Acts 2.42 that talks about the earliest church uh, committing, committing themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and why your elders and your staff are inviting you uh, to think about these elemental moves, that it's an incredibly important thing for us to consider. We do not need to be persons who find ourselves slaves to something that we think is giving us what we need when all the while it's, it's not. Turkle would say in her book, for example, that technology is seductive when it offers uh, to meet our human vulnerabilities, but as it turns out, we're vulnerable indeed. We are lonely because, and fearful of in, uh, intimacy and our digital connections and sociable uh, and sociable robots, she's done research in how, we, we're, we, how robots can play a role in our life. Having a boyfriend, a girlfriend, that's too much work. Let me just get a robot that will sort of fit my needs and my personality so I don't have to worry about changing in some way or another. She, she writes that this only creates an illusion of companionship without the demands of true friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We'd rather text than talk. 
well, I think she's on to something. And the very thing that we need most in life, real relationships with other human beings and with God, we often allow devices to get in the way of the hard and yet useful and meaningful work of being in the presence of God and with one another. So, what I want to do this morning as we reflect on what it means to be a people of community, of the practice of fellowship or living life together, is to move us from just thinking about it in a broad sweep, and preachers are really good at that, you know, get up and say, oh, let's talk about love, let's talk about joy, let's talk about justice, let's talk about community. Yes, what I want to do this morning is press us to think more deeply about how we practice community and at one, at one step at a time, one little concrete step at a time. I'm reminded of uh, Charles Schultz, uh, who had Linus say, I love humankind, but it's people I can't stand. It's, that, it's the business of getting down to the granular work of actually being able to connect and develop a real friendship, to develop a real connection with someone who needs help, to live out, and that's why we've read Philippians this morning, when Paul would say to those folks, look, if there's anything going on with the Holy Spirit, if there's any meaning about real love, if there's any kind, of, any kind of truth to the gospel story at all, make my joy complete and pay attention to one another. To, uh, to not look at your own interest, but look at the interests of another. Just like Christ, whose mindset was emptying, emptying, letting go, serving another Do you see that in the gospel story, we are being invited to live a life that is characterized by humility and not paying and worrying about our own selves, but paying attention to the other. And Paul drives that home deeper and deeper in this chapter. He has... he, he tells not only the Jesus story that reminds us of what it means to invest in others, to let go of ourself. He turns then to talk a little bit about Timothy. Timothy, his good co-worker, his friend. And he, he talks about Timothy and his relationship sort of like a father and a son. How intimately they work together for the sake of the gospel. That is real relationship. It takes real flush flesh and blood time together. It takes doing things together to get that kind of community going. And then he mentions another guy, this guy by the name of Epaphroditus in verse 25. He talks about Epaphroditus, his brother he calls him. This idea of filial love and affection, because of Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters. But he calls him other things too. He calls him my co-worker. That is to say, We share in work and life together. And then he calls him my fellow soldier. Now that's a very provocative term to talk about someone who's a fellow soldier. But it evokes for me the kind of reality that happens when you find yourself spending a night together in a foxhole with someone else in a life and death situation. When you walk with somebody in a high-risk situation where life is on the line then something happens to you and that other person. You become bonded together in intimate and powerful ways when you share life that way. 
When you find yourself relating to one another and walking through difficult and dark places, there's something powerful that happens that, that shapes your life and makes you connected to another human being. Just yesterday, I got to write yet another letter to a friend of mine. Her name is Chastity. I tell you her name because I don't know that you'll ever get a chance to meet her. She's in uh, a Georgia State prison right now. She's probably 25 years of age. When she was 19, she got drunk one night, which was a very stupid thing to do. She got behind the wheel, which was even a stupider thing to do, and then drove through downtown Atlanta on I-85, 10 lanes of traffic going every which way, and struck and killed an Atlanta police officer. She's in jail now and is in, will be in jail for a long, long time. A young, good-looking, sweet girl whose life was changed in an instant. And now everything that she's known has been cut away from her, and she has very few places for community. And the only way I can communicate with her with regularity is through email. I'm having to use technology. I can't be there in person. But I'll tell you this, by walking with her through the last seven or so years of her life, uh, there is a bond that is formed because we're sharing some life together. Not necessarily good life. And she comes, from, she comes from a very different world than I do. She comes a lot of different things there. But there is something that we share together. And so when she writes, and I write to her, we are sharing deep life and community with each other. That hope helps her keep sane and reminds me about my own life with God and how grateful I am for his work in my life and the signs and places that I see him at work in Chastity's life as she struggles with uh, the guilt of killing another human being and the suffering that that family endures and the death of her sister who died about two years ago and she never got to see her sister again or attend a funeral and on and on the stories go of her life we share that together. Church, it is when, it's when we step beyond ourselves into the real life of other human beings that we begin to discover ourselves. It's in our life and time with God that we understand ourselves, in our life and time with others that we begin to discover ourselves. And so when Paul says to Ephrodi about Ephroditus that he's my brother, He's my co-worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's saying, I've traveled the road of life with this guy. There's sort of a pun in this statement, actually. There in the text, did you hear it when I read it, about how he risked his life for me? Uh, the word, uh, the name Epaphroditus comes from the, the Greek god Aphrodite, who was the patron god of gamblers. Of gamblers. That Epaphroditus was was living out his namesake for the sake of the gospel with me. He invested his life with me. Church, I'm sharing these things to say that one of the things that we can do to practice deeper and deeper community is to make a conscious choice to disconnect from the forms of technology that are claiming more and more parts of our lives 
recognize them for the goodness that they bring to our lives, but also the power that they have over our lives to enslave us, to make us servants of them. Confess for a moment, you don't have to raise your hand, but confess and reflect for a moment how many times have you spent way more time on Facebook than you really needed to spend, right? I'm talking about something that's... How many times have you spent way more time a whole evening with the TV just playing away and, and nothing good came out of the evening? And when the evening news, you finally turned it off and went to bed. We let technology shape our lives in ways that we think help us connect, but what, they're, what technology is doing is masking the real need for us to be alone with God and to be with human beings. So, here's what I want to do today as I wrap this all up. I want to give you a simple, one-step, concrete kind of set of challenges here for you to consider as we, as we think about what does it mean for us to be genuinely human and to live our lives with others. I'm going to invite you, first of all today, to choose to limit the time and energy that you spend with your digital connections with that big screen widescreen tv with your cell phones with your smartphones with your ipads and laptops to to practice to let go to limit it to find some way to restrict the time that you spend with that to when you sit down with a at meal with your family to put the cell phone either in a pocket or someplace else there have been studies shown that, that statistically indicate a distinct difference in the quality of conversation between having the cell phone in your hands and talking to laying it down, face down on the table. It's better when you do that, but you know what's better yet? Statistically, it says it's better when it disappears. The quality of conversation. That's how these things control us in subtle ways. What would it be like to have a real meal with some people that you enjoy or would like to get to know and you just put the cell phones away? What would that be like? Could you do that one time this week? Could you do that with your family, with your kids, to turn the TV off, put the cell phones away, and simply be with one another? That's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm challenging you to think about the ways in which you use your your devices to to limit the time that you spend on them consider the possibility of spending the first hour of the day without your cell phone getting around could you could you just not check your stuff the first time as you first wake up those texts will wait the email will wait snapchat twitter facebook will wait why don't you spend a little time with yourself before the lord with a bible Okay, so maybe you need to use that to get to your Bible. I get that. But do you get the point I make? What would happen if you spent the last hour of the day without media, with the TV off, with, the face, with, with your smartphone placed aside in conversation with another or with a good book or with the Bible? What would happen? What might happen that would open us up to each other a little more? And secondly, I would challenge you to, to think about the people in your life and to make a commitment to connect with somebody in a more significant way this week. I'm not asking for you to come to the next ch- church potluck. I'll let uh, 
Jake or Kevin or Brian or somebody invite you to that. That's all good. That's big picture stuff, and that's good. we got to do that. We need to do that. You'll find it enriching to do that. What I'm asking is something much more simple and probably more difficult. I'm asking you to find somebody in your Sunday school class to invest in their life a little bit, to take them to lunch, go to coffee, engage them in some kind of conversation. You go, well, I'm not in Bible school. Okay, well, why don't you start coming to Bible school? Be around some people for a while, right? What about finding somebody uh, in, a, in a class if you're a college student? What about finding somebody in your workplace? What about a neighbor across the way that's just moved in three months ago, but you haven't found time to go over and introduce yourself to? Find somebody and start paying attention to them. Will you do that? That's my challenge. Who knows but what you may find yourself with a Timothy or an Epaphroditus. Who knows but what in doing that simple act, you will find yourself uh, not only enriching another person's life as you seek after their interests, but you may find your own life enriched as we move closer and closer to other human beings. Because, you know what? When I'm with a brother or a sister and I'm really paying attention, God is there as well. When I spend time with another human being, the Spirit of Christ is present in that moment. If I am paying attention and I can put my phone away long enough to not worry about those texts, I may discover real life right there in front of me where it's been all along. So, those are my challenges for us today. And as we stand here in just a moment to sing, we're going to sing a, one of my favorite songs, Love One Another. And as that simple melody sweeps over us and we say those words that come from 1 Corinthians 13, I'm inviting you to let this time be a time where you make some commitments about how you're going to use your time to demonstrate love. And secondly, who might it be this week that you would give yourself to a little more fully? Will you accept that challenge? Let's stand together and let's sing.